Welcome to Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I'm Shanda Sung, and I'm a comedian. And I'm Ashley Morgan, and I'm a farmer. We've been best friends since we were nine years old. Welcome to our show, where we teach each other all kinds of things that cover our wide range of knowledge and interests. And today's episode is Past Lives. Mm, I'm excited for this one. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Yeah. Yes, I really enjoyed researching this. I really like my topic. Plus, it's just fun. It's fun to imagine that you lived an exotic past life. Yeah. Yeah. They say that your birthmarks determine how you died in a past life. Mm. That sounds really true. I have two birthmarks about (laughs) the size of a quarter, roughly round shaped, on my back. So I'm pretty convinced I was shot twice in the back. <laughs> I think you were stabbed twice in the back. And in a previous life, you were Julius Caesar. Oh. Uh, yeah. Because he was the only person to have ever been injured twice in the back. Stands to reason. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. You have delusions of grandeur. So. <laughs> um, my friend Jonas, who I think listens to this show hi jonas if you don't listen to the show we're not friends anymore (laughs) he won't know you don't even know that because you're not listening (laughs) (laughs) anyway my friend jonas has a joke about that where he's like people will talk about being reincarnated and be like oh yeah i was a pharaoh in a past life and he's like oh well that explains why you became the assistant manager of this mcdonald's so quickly (laughs) got that leadership skills (laughs) seems unlikely that everyone was caesar and cleopatra yeah (laughs) some of you were just i don't know basic bitches yeah (laughs) some of you were just peasants (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you have any birthmarks i don't i have some uh moles (laughs) Mm. Is that anything? Does that mean anything? Might tell you how you die in this life (laughs) if they're suspicious looking. (laughs) They're not so ominous. (laughs) They're cool. We're chill. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess that means I died peacefully in my past life. Probably. Yeah. I didn't get betrayed like you. I know. You did in your past life and you might in this life. I mean, we're cool now, but... (laughs) Who knows? I saw how quickly you turned on Jonah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I am vicious. Yeah. <laughs> a two, Shanda? <laughs> Tyler has a birthmark on his arm. It's kind of on his upper arm, kind of up by his mm. bicep type area. That's not a fatal wounding area. I know. Would you just bleed out like a punk? Yeah. Did you get <laughs> infected when you got shot by an arrow or a bullet like (laughs) got snagged on a thorn and it became infected you died of a bloodborne illness did you have an adverse reaction to an inoculation is that (laughs) that what happened probably he's a wuss like that (laughs) one little scratch on his arm and he dies come on yeah that's probably what happened to me and that's it was like so small that it didn't leave a birthmark it's probably in your hair. It's on your scalp somewhere. It's on his scalp. Well, now I got to shave because <laughs> that's going to bother me. Yeah. Because I don't know what my scalp looks like. We have to know. I've never known what my scalp looked like. Oh, I do not want to know what my head looks like because I know what it feels like and it is misshapen. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I do have a hard time with hats. They like don't stay on and headbands, they just slide off. So yeah. Yeah, too. you don't want to find out you're an egghead. Oh yeah, no. I'm already a pumpkin head a little bit. Because Tyler's <laughs> got a little tiny noggin, so all his hats are cinched really small. And so when I put his hats on, I have to undo <laughs> undo them just so they fit. And then when he goes to put them back on, he's like, God, you got a pumpkin head. <laughs> it's like, first of all, I have a lot of hair and a lot of brains. So yeah. Yeah. That's definitely it. <laughs> I'm wicked smart. Yeah. And I have a lot of hair. <laughs> I mean, you have to be wicked smart if you ruled the Roman Empire. I know, right? Yeah. See how I brought it back? We were talking about lumpy heads and then I <laughs> and I brought it back to the subject. I'm maybe, in top form tonight. Maybe that lump on my head is where I was like clubbed over the head. <laughs> like, every weird thing about me is just each life I get assassinated and then come back and get yeah. assassinated in the next one and then the next one. Oh my gosh. Have you ever seen what we do in the shadows? Mm-mm. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. <laughs> It's so good, I made up a word. It's phenomenal. (laughs) It's a very good show, okay? And there's a movie to it. I have not seen the movie, but the show is so great. And in it, it's about vampires. And she has this, the vampire in it, Nadja, has this uh, mortal lover that she's had over the centuries. And he keeps getting decapitated. But then they find each other in each subsequent life that he has. Oh, that's And he nice. gets decapitated every single time. Oh. And yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> that's what that reminded me of. Definitely recommend that show. It's great. I can't wait till it comes back. What are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got pages of notes. I have a really, I've got a juicy one. So I think we could probably get started. Yeah, I got a fair amount, too. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. All right. You're first this week, so I can't wait to hear about it. My topic today is I am going to talk about children's memories of past lives. Oh, thank you. I didn't want to sleep tonight. Yeah. So (laughs) this started with a TikTok. Somebody had put out a prompt that said, what is the creepiest thing your child has ever said to you? Somebody had stitched that to talk about an experience she had with weird things that her child was saying. And she began to question, was this a past life that my child is remembering? And -hmm. so, of course, I went to the comments and it was filled with people who had similar experiences. They were recounting how their children had named places and people that there's no way a four-year-old would know Mm -hmm. what that country in Africa is or whatever, you know, who that person was in the 1950s. They couldn't have known that or talking very seriously about their spouses or their children or their homes or their jobs. Some people would kind of chalk it up to a vivid imagination, power Mm -hmm. of suggestion from relatives or TV shows. But there were a lot of people that were like, I don't know, man, how could my kid know that? I'm with them all day, every day. How could they possibly know these things? That, of course, piqued my curiosity. When you kind of told me about your topic, I said, oh, that reminds me of that TikTok I saw. I'm going to dig further into that. Yeah. So, of course, I searched online and I found an article from Psychology Today that talked about children's memories of past lives. And so, of course, I went down all these rabbit holes. I clicked on all the suggested links that they had. (laughs) And it was a lot of fun. 
because it really would dive into not only various stories, but also kind of some of the research and science behind why this might be happening. So let me start off by telling you a couple of stories, giving you a couple examples of what this looks like. The first story is of Ryan Hammond. He was a four-year-old out of Oklahoma. And during his playtime, he would often play director. He'd be yelling action. He'd be giving stage mm-hmm. cues. He'd be, you know, quote unquote, talking to actors, which his parents kind of brushed off as he's just playing. Yeah. But then he started to get night terrors and he would wake up screaming about how his heart exploded. Ah. And so his family was like, OK, that's scary. Let's take him to a doctor. Why is he suddenly having these awful nightmares? So they take him to the family doctor. The family doctor is not concerned, kind of saying, oh, he'll grow out of that. Mm -hmm. So they went home and carried on with life. Well, one time at bedtime, Ryan says to his mom, I feel like I'm somebody else. Mm. And she's kind of asked, well, what do you mean by that? And he starts giving details about this life. And she starts asking questions about his life. And he says he's from Hollywood. He remembers a White House with a pool that he has three sons, but he couldn't remember their names. And then he started to cry. He got really upset that he could not remember their names. And so mom kind of settled him down and was like, "Okay, that's it for tonight. But for weeks after, he still remained upset that he could not remember his son's names. Yeah. And so... Mom decided that she was going to do some research at the library. So she not only looked into reincarnation and past lives, but she saw on the shelf that there was a book about Hollywood. And Mm -hmm. so she got that book for Ryan. And Ryan's looking through this book and there's this old picture of a group of men at some movie set. And Ryan suddenly goes, that's George. And mom says, well, you know, how do you know that's George? And he goes, well, because... He's like, well, I don't know, but that's me. And he points to a man in the same picture as George. And so that freaks mom out. There, unfortunately, were no names that corresponded with the pictures. Mm -hmm. So she can't fact check him? Yeah, she can't fact check him. So she says, you know what? I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to dig into. And so she tries to find more information Come to find out that the man in the picture, his name is George. His name is George Raft, and he was an actor in the 1930s and 40s. Not a very famous Mm. one, but he had some roles. And so once she found that out, she was like, oh, my gosh, I never prompted him to say that. So he came up with that on his own. And it just so happens the guy's name is George. And it's not like he saw that guy on Nickelodeon. Right. (laughs) He's an unknown actor from the 30s and 40s. So, yeah, it's not like it's a well-known person. Yeah, that's wild. So she decided to take this story and she wrote into a past life researcher named Dr. Jim Tucker. I'll talk a little bit more about Jim Tucker later. But for now, just know that he's a really famous researcher into past lives and reincarnation. So she wrote to him and told him Ryan's story. Mm. And he decided to dig into it a little bit more. And so he did his own research. He followed up on some things. He sent the picture to a film and Hollywood historian and asked them to look up who these people were in the picture and give names. 
And it was confirmed that the man in the picture that Ryan said he was, his name was Martin Martin. M-A-R-T-I-N. Last name M-A-R-T-Y-N. Oh. A stage name, more than likely. Come to find out, Martin had three sons and a daughter, and they got in touch with the daughter. Hmm. And the daughter was able to confirm a lot of the details that Ryan said about Martin specifically. Yeah. Saying he had three sons, but he couldn't remember their names. She confirmed about the three sons. Ryan had mentioned that he was a dancer. The daughter confirmed that Martin had danced on Broadway. Ryan had said he was an agent and he helped other actors. The daughter confirmed that Martin had been an agent who kind of helped actors pick out their stage names and kind of get familiar with Hollywood and acting and the whole behind the scenes of it. And so it really kind of tripped everybody out that here's this four-year-old kid who's naming all these details about this man who actually existed and his own daughter was like, holy crap, how did this kid from Oklahoma know this about my dad in Hollywood in the 30s? And why is he making a big deal about not remembering my brother's names and totally forgot that I existed? Yeah. To hell with this kid. Yeah, I don't want to help him. <laughs> but there is a little something to that. So they decided to have Ryan and the daughter meet. Ryan was suddenly very shy around the daughter. Mm-hmm. And of course, they talked. The daughter was a little reluctant at first, but she went along with it. Ryan was shy, but he did kind of warm up to her. But one of the things that he said to his mom was she doesn't act the same. She doesn't feel the same way. And when asked to elaborate a little bit more, essentially, when he knew her, he knew her as an infant or a child. And Mm. now she was an adult. So he almost didn't recognize her as an adult, this child. So he was almost like her energy is weird. Her energy is different. But... Ryan, after that, stopped having the night terrors. He stopped being so anxious about not remembering his son's names. And Mm -hmm. it put his mind at ease and he grew out of it. Mm -hmm. The second story is about a kid named James Leininger. And he's a two-year-old out of Louisiana. He was having nightmares about plane crashes Mm. and fire and really scary thrashing about. And his parents were worried To the point that he even had toy airplanes that he was pretending to crash. Mm. And the parents were like, oh, he is taking this too far. Like, he's not only playing as plane crashing, but he's having nightmares about it. And so the father says, why do you keep crashing your airplanes like that? Probably thinking to himself, that's kind of morbid, kid. Yeah. (laughs) But the father starts asking some questions. And James says, well, I'm a pilot and I fly airplanes Mm. off of a boat. And the dad starts again asking follow-up questions. And the kid says the name Natoma. Mm -hmm. And the dad says, well, that sounds Japanese. And James says, no, it's American. Again, you're having this conversation with a two-year-old. Yeah. How does he know what any of that is? Then James mentions something about how he's called Little Man and how he has a friend named Jack Larson. And so the dad's intrigued. That's a lot of details. Yeah. Get to Googling. Yeah. So he spends years doing research and finally found that there was a World War II pilot from Pennsylvania named James Houston. And I find it interesting that the little boy's name was James and the man 
he was before was named James. But James Houston was a real guy, and he had the nickname Little Man. Hmm. He was on the aircraft carrier, the USS Natoma Bay, and they were stationed near Iwo Jima. Okay. James Houston died in a plane explosion. Essentially, I think yeah. got hit during war. Plane yeah. crashed, exploded. One of the other pilots that was out flying another plane that day was his friend, Jack Larson. And so the dad was able to confirm all of the things that his two-year-old son had said. That's crazy. Now, these are just a couple of the stories, but there's thousands of them. Yeah. People have been able to confirm the people they were in past lives. Like, oh, those people actually existed. And how could these kids know it? Again, the two-year-old James lived in Louisiana while the World War II pilot was from Pennsylvania. There's no way he, like, stumbled across that information. Right. And, yeah. What do you do with that, though? Like, once you figure that out, you're just like, well, (laughs) my kid... Had a past life, and we all know about it now, so that's an interesting factoid he can say at, like, work meetings or something. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Like, what do you do with that? That's crazy. But this is kind of a weird concept to us. Yeah. Many cultures and religion, that's no big deal. Yeah. In religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, they believe in past life and reincarnation. Mm -hmm. So... For them, they're like, yeah, that's not surprising. Way to go, James. Way to have a vivid memory. (laughs) But for us here in America, we are a Christian nation for the most part, and we don't really believe in reincarnation and past Mm -hmm. lives. That's not ever something I remember being taught or really talking about. It's just kind of something that gets hinted at as an adult in TikToks and whatnot, right? And you learn these things as you learn about world cultures right and expand your knowledge but as an american christian nation well, that's not really something that we believe in here but yeah. at the university of virginia they have a division of perceptual studies and it was founded by a dr ian stevenson in 1961 and he had been compiling case studies since then mm-hmm. they tried to use scientific research and anecdotal evidence and case studies for, what, 60 years now to discuss this in an American setting. Because, <laughs> again, yeah. that's not really something that we talk about. Remember I mentioned Dr. Jim Tucker? In 1999, he joined Dr. Stevenson's team. He eventually took over in 2002 when Dr. Stevenson retired. Now, between the two men, they wrote countless articles and several books about the subject. They are firm believers that this absolutely exists. Mm. Dr. Stevenson has since passed. Is now a baby. Is now a baby somewhere. (laughs) And Dr. Tucker has taken over his work. But while they were working together, part of Dr. Tucker's job was to go through and kind of reorganize, recategorize, Dr. Stevenson's case files. He did additional research on the side. He did follow-ups. Some of them they found were fake. Mm -hmm. Some people just making false claims. They wanted either money or notoriety. Some were just people who had a loved one pass 
and was mm-hmm. really hoping that their child was the reincarnation of this past loved one. They, like they were trying to keep that going. But the doctors who had been researching this and studying this and talking to a lot of people, it's pretty easy to spot the fakes and who was legit. But most yeah. of their case studies were legit. While Dr. Tucker was going through all of the case files again, he started recording certain stats and he noticed patterns emerge. For example, most of the children who claim to be someone else are between the ages of two and six. Usually by the time they're six and beyond or seven and beyond, they don't really have those memories anymore. And it's thought Mm. that perhaps children are more receptive. They don't have the bias that you do as an adult. Like, well, we don't really believe that. So that can't be possible. A child doesn't really know what they believe in that time frame. Yeah. They are more open to possibilities and they don't really have much in the way of priorities that occupy their brain and their consciousness. For example, when a child starts to hit puberty, their mind's <laughs> on, of course, other things, right? Yeah. They're not thinking about they, how they're a World War II pilot. <laughs> yeah. They're, they haven't filled up their brain with a bunch of passwords for various websites. <laughs> right. And, and phone numbers and all kinds. They're of, not worried about taxes. And, okay. Yeah. Song lyrics. Right. <laughs> They've got room for for someone else's memories. Exactly. <laughs> Another pattern that emerged was that 60% of the children that made these claims were male. Mm-hmm. 70% stated that they died by a violent or unnatural cause. Mm. Of that 70%, 70% were male, which in looking at general population statistics that lines up like it's the it's the same so they were kind of saying like well that lines up with of the violent deaths that occur in all categories 70 percent are male so that makes sense that it occurs in the children's memories as well 90 percent claim to have come back as the same sex Mm-hmm. Male versus male, female versus female. The average time between death and birth was 16 months. Really? It's a pretty quick turnaround. Yes. Okay. And here's the wild thing. So they get this story. They confirm who the child is. They are able to figure out who this person is, whether it be census or death certificates or whatever. They're able to find this person Mm-hmm. note the day that they died and then note the day that the child was born. And on average, it was 16 months. Like the, wow. the median, like a lot of them were around that time. That is a pretty quick turnover, right? Yeah. Here's the thing that kind of got me. That was kind of blew my mind a little bit. 20% of all of their thousands of case studies claim to have memories of the time in between. Their death and their birth. And children with their limited capacity for understanding were trying to describe this place. Mm -hmm. Some said that they were in God's house, while others said they waited near where they died before going inside their mother. Okay. But they somehow had 
memories and consciousness of this space in which they existed but didn't, which just yeah. kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. And then 20% had birthmarks and or other deformities that matched the previous death. Okay, so you've got a little scientific backing you up. Then there's also the mental side of it of many of these children had night terrors, PTSD, Mm -hmm. and phobias related to things that happened to them in past lives. Yeah. For example, there have been stories of children who were afraid of water, and there's no reason why they would be afraid of water. Mm-hmm. So perhaps it was a past life. There were children who had night terrors and PTSD when they lived in comfortable, loving homes. There's no reason for them to have those. Yeah. And so they found that a lot of these case studies had those things triggered not based on the child's life, but perhaps based on the past life. Man. That's crazy. I believe. <laughs> that puts the end of, to the thought of like, oh, I won't be stressed out anymore when I'm dead. Like, no, I'm carrying that forward. Yeah. <laughs> so we've learned about the what and a little bit of the why, but how? How is this possible? Yeah. And there are a couple of scientific theories behind it. We know that energy cannot be created or destroyed. So when the physical is gone, where does the energy and or consciousness go? Mm. Right? So there's a thought that it exists outside of the physical. And quantum physics, which I know nothing about, suggests (laughs) that the material world is perhaps derived from the consciousness, not the other way around. Okay. So adding to that, when there is a violent death, which we said 70% of these experiences result from, a Mm -hmm. violent death, it triggers in the moments right before fear, physical manifestations as in like adrenaline, fight Mm -hmm. or flight response. So you have all of these sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system reacting, firing, going, like synapses and neurons and muscle twitching that is energy that's now booming and then suddenly the person dies and those signals Mm. are lost but that energy still exists where does it go yeah so in those extreme situations it is likely to come back or show itself again in a very dramatic way coming back Mm -hmm. as a child with vivid memories I remember these because at the time it was very scary for me. Yeah. I am having night terrors and PTSD because how I died in a past life was very traumatic. So there is that theory. My fight or flight turned into flight that flew all the way into an infant. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) That hung around in the liminal space for a while until a child was born and it could stress the child out. Yeah. Another theory that has actually been proven is fear and trauma can alter DNA. Studies in rats have found that offspring avoided certain harmful stimuli caused to the parents, even when the offspring was never exposed. So, Hmm. for example, if there was a ball in the corner of the cage that when the rat went and touched it, it 
produced an electrical shock. And it produced a fear in this mother rat. And she didn't Mm -hmm. like it. It harmed her. It shocked her. Every time she touched it, it shocked her. So that ball sits in the corner. Now, when she has her babies, those babies know to avoid that ball or a ball-shaped thing. Even though they've never touched it, even if you took away the shock factor, if they touched it, they would not get shocked. But they know somehow to avoid that. And it's probably an evolutionary thing. If a rat in the wild gets scared by a shadow of a hawk flying over top, her rat babies know to fear shadows of birds Mm -hmm. because it could be a hawk. That's an evolutionary advantage. I get it. So anybody who has a phobia, it's because in a past life, that's how you died. If you're afraid of heights. Yeah. Then in a past life, you fell from a great height and it burned into your DNA. In order to protect you. Or it could be fear and trauma from your parents and grandparents. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Have also been passed down. So there's these theories of like, you know, energy transference, altering Mm -hmm. of DNA when traumatic experiences happen to the point that it gets passed down. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Yeah. In fact, some of the TikTok comments that I read in the original reincarnation TikTok that I saw, there were a couple of comments in which people were talking about family members and that there were like the kid knew of nickname that her grandfather had called her. No one would have known that. Or, you Mm -hmm. know, so that could have essentially been the reincarnation of her grandparent. But then there are also perhaps, quote unquote, memories from the DNA of the family member Mm-hmm. fears and phobias for no reason i mean it's just the whole concept yeah. just trips me out and so when i was researching yeah, this i was yeah. like yo this is so cool <laughs> this is so interesting and like outside of our realm of understanding and like cultural knowledge also yeah very fascinating so a lot of it depends on how much you believe in what you know about the spiritual, the metaphysical, the consciousness, time as being <laughs> linear, multiple dimensions, whatever you know, whatever you believe, I absolutely think that it's plausible. There's enough yeah. anecdotal evidence and case studies and enough cultures believe in it, even outside of our own, that I'm like, yeah, I can see it. There's enough that I don't know. That this is all absolutely plausible to me. <laughs> yeah. And what does it hurt Yeah, to believe? Yeah. How could you be sure even in the face of so much anecdotal and physical evidence? Right. And the fact that a lot of these are yeah. very verifiable. Mm-hmm. This child in this state was able to give facts about somebody who existed in this state in this time. That child couldn't have known those things so the fact to have memories from it it just yeah is really cool blows my mind and you know they fact check it before fact checking became a thing so (laughs) that's just science i guess man that's cool but most of the children grow out of it by the age of seven and so yeah that's good they don't like carry that yeah you know and have night terrors or i mean that is the that's the hard part of it like as a parent what would you do you're like there's nothing that's interesting that making contact with the daughter of martin martin like helped ryan Mm kind of get some closure through it yeah get some closure yeah so 
that would be the hard thing. You're like, you're stressed out about things that I cannot help you with in any way. Yeah, bud. I don't know what your son's names are. I can't help you. You're four. I don't know, man. Like, (laughs) would you like some milk? Yeah, I can get you some cookies, some animal crackers, but I cannot tell you your son's name. No, I cannot. Can't. I'm very sorry about the fiery plane crash. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to watch a movie? I'm sorry you died in World War II. But do you want to watch Frozen? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Captain America would be more your speed. (laughs) Exactly. That's cool. Very interesting. Yes. Yeah, I got really excited about this. And it all started with the TikTok like they usually do. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that's all I had to say about it. It was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun researching it i even went out at one point to tyler and i was like this is gonna be great i'm having a great time researching this (laughs) clicking on all the links down all the rabbit holes it was a lot of fun so let's take a quick break and then we will come back and hear your story all right okay we are back and it's my turn and i have one person's account of their having lived past lives i think it it worked out great the order of this yes that you kind of came in you hit us with the science and then i've got uh, one woman's story so this came from a meme as do all of my subjects (laughs) i know right but i dug in and it was very interesting so dorothy louise Eady was born in london on January 16th, 1904. She lived a middle-class life. Her dad was a tailor. And when she was three years old, she fell down a flight of stairs. Accounts differ as to how serious, like some people say she was dead, legally dead for a time. And then they kind of revived her. And some were like, well, she was just unconscious. But either way, she was injured pretty seriously and in the hospital and was diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury. And following that, she developed foreign accent syndrome, where you just start speaking with a foreign accent after you have a brain injury, Hmm. which is like delightful, I think, (laughs) as far as brain injury symptoms go. I was going to say, except for the brain injury. (laughs) Could be worse. And she would also say things to her parents like, I want to go home. And they're like, you are home. You're at home. And they're, she's like, oh, no, I want to go home. And they're like, where is home? And she said, I don't know. Shortly after her injury, as she was recovering, her parents took her to the British Museum. And they're having a nice day going around, visiting all of the exhibits. And they get to the Egyptian exhibit. And she lights up. And goes directly to a photo of the temple of Seti I and says, I lived there. Mm. That's where I lived. And they were like, what are you talking about? And she said, I, I lived there. Where are all the trees in the garden? And then she went around to the other photos in the exhibit and the, the models that were there. And she was saying, these are my people. And she was kissing the feet of some of these statues and was just so overwhelmed with joy about recognizing all of this stuff. And of course, her parents, this is 1910, 
London. Her parents are very Catholic. And they're like, what are you talking about? You are not Egyptian. And they're probably like, you are embarrassing us in public. You stop kissing their feet. (laughs) Knock it off. (laughs) So she becomes obsessed with this idea of that she was an Egyptian, an ancient Egyptian, and that those were her people and she wanted to go there. And then it started to cause problems. She was in Sunday school and her Sunday school teacher came to her parents and said, you can't bring her back to Sunday school because we were talking and she compared Christianity to an Egyptian religion, a heathen, quote unquote, heathen Egyptian religion. <laughs> and she can't be talking about that kind of heresy in Sunday school. And then she was expelled from her all-girls school because she refused to sing a hymn that called on God to curse Egyptians. That's in a hymn? Which, like a hell of a hymn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this hymn was, but she was like, I'm not singing that. So they expelled her. She enjoyed going to Roman Catholic Mass. She liked going with her parents. She was there, but... She kept saying, this reminds me of my old religion. And eventually the priest was like, she can't be saying that. (laughs) We are the only religion. She needs to shut up about it. She needs to shut up. (laughs) They were like, you you can't bring her here anymore. She's no longer, you are uninvited from church (laughs) because you're being weird. (laughs) We can't have it. So in this time, she gets a little farther into her teens And she starts to describe a life with some more detail that she had in Egypt. She says that she was a lover of Seti I, the pharaoh Mm -hmm. that she had said that she'd lived in his temple. Mm -hmm. And she claimed that she was having dreams where her mummy came to her and tried to rip her pajamas off of her as she was in bed. Which, like, ew, you're dead. Okay? It's over. (laughs) We broke up. Yeah. Get over it. (laughs) Yeah. So her parents are obviously pretty concerned at this point. Okay? You're having vivid dreams about your mummy ex-boyfriend coming and ripping your clothes off. This is weird. Okay? So they start sending her to sanitariums. She goes to several of them. She drops out of school entirely when she's 16, begins studying art, starts working at a theater where her dad worked, and that enabled her. She actually joined a play and played the Egyptian god Isis (laughs) in a play, and she was like, this is my jam. (laughs) (laughs) So then she begins having other visions and visits in the night from the Egyptian god Hora who came to her many times over the course of a year to tell her about her previous life. And in these visits, Hora showed her the story of her previous life in the version of pages and pages of demotic texts, which are an Egyptian like cursive-like script, you know, beyond hieroglyphics. She did not, Dorothy, she didn't read that. Right. <laughs> but... In the process of being shown this, she was able to slowly translate it or be told what it meant by the God. I'm a little unclear there. I read several different versions of how that all shook out, but she did copy it down 
what she was shown. And so in her own hand, she wrote this language that she did not know. And eventually later on in her life showed it to an Egyptologist and was like, that's not half bad. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. But she also was able to translate what happened. And so the story was that Dorothy was the reincarnated spirit of Bentrashit, which meant harp of joy. She was a young girl who had been born poor in ancient Egypt. Her parents were a vegetable seller and her father was a soldier as well for Pharaoh Seti. And at age three, her mother died and her father couldn't afford to keep her. So he placed her in the temple of Koran el Sultan, which served the god Osiris. Osiris was the god of fertility, agriculture, the afterlife, the dead, resurrection, life, and vegetation. Hmm. So, a god of many talents, apparently. That's quite a title. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So, she was serving in this temple, worshipping the god Osiris. She began to be trained as a priestess. And she's raised in this temple. And then at age 12, the high priest said, you have the option to leave here and live your life out in the regular world, or you can take a vow to become a consecrated virgin and continue to be a priestess for Osiris. And she was like, I don't really have any reason not to stay. I don't really have anywhere else to go. So sure, I'll take this vow. So She took the vow and carried on her work as a priestess and was preparing to perform in this drama, apparently a play, of Osiris's passion and resurrection that they did every year. Well, like, you know, like a Christmas pageant. (laughs) (laughs) But only consecrated virgin priestesses were allowed to participate in this. And as she's preparing to do this, Pharaoh Seti meets her and... They become lovers. Mm, Gotta have it. Yeah. And she becomes pregnant and tells the high priest about it and tells the high priest who the father is. And the priest said, well, this is a betrayal of your vow to Osiris. And if you are tried for this, you will be executed. It's grounds for execution. And she decided... She would rather die by her own hand. So that's what she did. Hmm. And that was the past life of Dorothy Eady. So in 1931, fast forward, Dorothy met an Egyptian fella (laughs) and said, I sure like you. (laughs) He was a student in London at the time, but he was from Egypt. And his name was Imam Abdel Megweed. And they married and they moved to Cairo. So she was finally Back in Egypt. Yeah. Uh, they had a son who she named Seti, which is weird. Don't name your son after your ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Like, what? Ooh. That's what Adam Levine got in trouble for. That's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> and her husband was like, yeah, definitely. Definitely for sure. <laughs> Do you know that he was my ex-boyfriend? <laughs> yeah. He was a pharaoh, by the way. You're a student. What are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) I'm a real catch, okay? Yeah. I was laying with pharaohs, and yet I picked you. That's how you know it's true love. 
<laughs> well, was it? They were married two years and they got divorced. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> she was thrilled to be in Egypt, though. They moved to Cairo. They had their son and she was happy to be there. She visited all the ancient sites. She made a trip back to the temple of Seti where she had lived in her previous life and she became close with researchers. She continued to report that she was having these apparitions and out-of-body experiences, that she was still in touch with these gods, with, you know, her old friends. (laughs) (laughs) But her in-laws did not care for this. They were kind of little upper crust in the social strata of Cairo and they're like our daughter-in-law is bonkers and thinks she's reincarnated and she keeps saying weird stuff at dinner parties and we don't like it yeah they're like this bitch is crazy (laughs) yeah so just two years after they were married they got divorced and he took a teaching job in Iraq and their son stayed with Dorothy and she began working as a secretary for an archaeologist named Salim Hassan and loved the work. Since she was a teenager, she had studied hieroglyphics and other Egyptian languages and was becoming quite an expert on it. So she would help him with translating these artifacts that they found Mm. in the ancient sites and then helped him write his papers, come to his conclusions. They called her a ghostwriter for a lot of things, she was very well respected within the archaeological community because of the work she did in writing and editing and putting things together and translation and all of this stuff. But the whole time, she was very upfront about her beliefs that she was this person who lived in this time period and she continued to practice that religion. She worshipped ancient Egyptian gods. So she was working professionally in this, but then also was saying, like, this is personal for me. And people were like, that's wacky, but you do good work. So (laughs) we'll keep you around. She embraced her religion. She would make prayers to all of these ancient gods. She left offerings in the pyramids. She would sleep in the Great Pyramid. Which I did not know was allowed, but she did it quite a bit. Yeah. She would just go like, go have sleepovers. She also was very into natural healing and the types of healing methods that were used in ancient Egypt. The use of certain waters. She said she would wade into these waters of this certain river and it healed her of her arthritis. She would come up with tinctures and all of these things for people in the village, the locals. Mm. And they were like okay, lady, whatever, but (laughs) she was very nice. You crazy, but you helpful. (laughs) Yeah. And she learned a lot about modern Egyptian life, you know, obviously living in modern Egypt. And she drew a lot of parallels between modern Egypt and ancient Egypt and could see how rituals and belief systems were connected to things that she felt that she had experienced in ancient Egypt. And she wrote about a lot of that too, and used the scientific process to back up all of the claims that she made. Like, I remember this, this is a memory that I have, but also I know how archaeological work 
works. I know how, you know, the scientific and academic communities operate. And so this is what I feel to be true. And then also here's what I have to back it up. She was both kind of feared and respected among the locals in Egypt. They're like, what she's talking about is not my cup of tea, mm -hmm. but I respect her for being open about her beliefs. When she was 52, a project that she was on ended and she moved to Abydos, which is where the Temple of Seti is. And she said she felt like it was going home. She built herself a little kind of hut house and found some other Egyptologists to work with in that area, but spent a lot of time at that temple where she had lived as Bentrashit. So there was an inspector in the antiquities department where she was working years prior to this who was a skeptic or a scientist, if you will. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I want to try something. And he took her into one of the ruins, some, it, no, it was the temple, temple of Seti. He took her in there. It was dark, pitch black. And he took her into a room that had a bunch of wall paintings and he knew all of these wall paintings and where they were. And he described one of the paintings and said, okay, where is that one? And she went right to it. Hmm. And she did that with every painting in the temple. Cool. And none of that had been released to the public. None of that was available. There's no way that she could have found it. Yeah. That information prior to that. So... At that point, that guy was like, you know what, maybe she, maybe she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> she began working in listing and translating artifacts for another Egyptologist named Edward Gazuli, and he did a lot of prolific work in that area, and he won some awards for a book that he put out, and in it, he thanked her specifically for all the work that she did. Mm. So she was respected within the community. And she also said when she was living in that area, she felt peace. That's good. She felt home. She talked about how if she could be in that place and do good work, she could make up for what happened to Bentrashit mm -hmm. and how she had violated her oath to Osiris. Yeah. And she was kind of making that up. The gardens that she had mentioned when she very first saw that photo of the temple when she was four years old, mm -hmm. she helped find those. She went out there and said, I remember here was this area of the garden. Here was this kind of, I don't know, walls or landscaping or whatever. And they excavated it and they found it exactly where she said it would be. That's so cool. Yeah. So she retired in 1969, but would still work part time as a consultant and gave tours of many of the sites. Like I said, she's respected for her work, if not totally believed to have been resurrected. She is respected within the scientific community, not resurrected, if not totally believed to be reincarnated. She is at least respected for the work that she did. Right. There are a few quotes that I have. There was a. Uh, 
an Egyptologist named Klaus Baer, who said she had visions and worshipped the ancient Egyptian gods, but she understood the methods and standards of scholarship, which is not usually the case with nuts. <laughs> oh, my God. And then he said she never tried to convert anyone and she did good work. <laughs> And so <laughs> that's compliment adjacent, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like you're crazy, but you're not like crazy, crazy. You're not like crazy, crazy. So <laughs> another one put it a little more nicely. A man named William Mornane said it was always a pleasure to be with her and listen to whatever she said. You really couldn't take her anything but seriously. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So she died at 77 years old, and she knew prior to her death that none of the Christian or Muslim cemeteries that were around where she was would accept her mm -hmm. because she was neither Christian nor Muslim. She was ancient Egyptian. Yeah. <laughs> she worshipped Osiris. So she knew this, and so in preparation of her death, she constructed her own tomb in her backyard. <laughs> cool. And wanted an underground cement slab for her body to lay on but after she died health officials were like you can't you can't do that mm. and they intervened and did not let her be buried there and then a cemetery finally relented and said okay she can be buried in this far edge unwanted plot in the desert but she can't have a marker so we'll put a pile of stones Ah. Uh. Which is a bummer. Yeah. Which is very sad. Let the lady have her tomb, okay? Yeah. I think she earned it. I wonder what she's doing now. Yeah. I'm sure she's back somewhere, right? She's somewhere. Yeah. There's some four-year-old scaring the crap out of their parents. Yeah. <laughs> over this. That's Dorothy Edie, who uh, lived that past life. So... And it's interesting, the differences between what you said in your part, for one, like the average time span was 16 months. Mm -hmm. This is hundreds of years. Yeah. Thousands of years. Yeah. And then that most kids grow out of it. And she never did. But she had never did. brain trauma. So perhaps she that did have. kept walls from sealing that usually seal up at certain times. So. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are obviously skeptics and people who are like, she had a brain injury that kept the part of her brain that, you know, the imagination of children kept that alive. Yeah. And she had this childhood imagination and latched on to this specific thing and did not let go of it because her brain was damaged or that, you know, it was just some other sort of result of this traumatic injury but i mean hey let her be a priestess slash concubine it made her happy she did good work yeah we know a lot more about ancient egypt now than we would have without her so good on you Bentrashit slash dorothy yeah cool story yeah it was a cool story and then it was so interesting for me to listen to your part of it, knowing what I had known about her and like hear kind of the differences mm -hmm. between those. So there's a lot of media about her, plenty of articles. There are some documentaries, episodes of shows. So if you want to know more, you can definitely look her up and find some of that. But that is the story of Dorothy Eady. Very cool. And there it is. Yeah. So when you're not getting stabbed or shot in the back in a past <laughs> life... 
Where can we find you? So if I get trampled by an alpaca, will I come back with like a little footprint on the side of my face as a birthmark? <laughs> yes. I hope so. <laughs> if I get pecked to death by chickens, will I come back with a severe bird phobia? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. So just a reminder, we are taking a bit of a hiatus after episode 100. Yes, which some people have already told me they're upset about. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> so sorry, but we have a lot of stuff to do behind the scenes and things to catch We're up on. We're tired, all right? <laughs> we need just a minute. We've earned it. <laughs> but we will still be active on social media. You can find us here at the farm on TikTok and Facebook at Crimson Moon Farm. You can also check out our website, crimsonmoonfarm.com. And then, of course, Shanda, you will be active and we will still be active with the podcast, social media. So, yeah, I will be there uh, answering all your comments on Facebook and Instagram, passing notes with Ashley and Shanda, TikTok, passing notes podcast. Feel free to reach out to us. We're not going anywhere. So if you are still around. (laughs) Yeah, if you have ideas or things you want to hear or you just miss us and want to send us a sweet little note, we'll take that too. Yeah, and I will be doing comedy. So find out about that on my personal social media, Shanda Sung on Facebook, Shanda.Sung on Instagram, Shanda S. Panda on TikTok, and stay up to date with all of my shows and come see me in person. Come watch me do jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Above all, I hope you share this show with your best friend. Absolutely. And like every week, I want to thank my husband, Tyler, for helping us record, edit, and produce this show. I hope to see him in my next life. (laughs) Oh. And of course, we want to thank you all for listening. This was episode 98. This was a fun one. We hoped you enjoyed it. For Shanda Sung, I am Ashley Morgan. Join us next time on Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. Oh, I gotta check on my toe blood. Dude, that was gross. It's some, like, it's dripping. Oh, no. Oh, my God, I'm bleeding. Oh, it's disgusting. And it's, like, pulse. Ah. Oh. Look, it ran down my foot. Oh, no. I could not talk tonight. Uh, it's probably blood loss. You're yeah, probably I think lightheaded so. From well, I'm dying. The leader that's come out of your toe. I'm gonna have a birthmark on my toe in my next life. <laughs>